the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you tonight, heading into the weekend. Hope you have a great weekend. It's a holiday weekend, which reminds me that we will not be here on Monday, uh, Labor Day. So I hope you'll have a a great weekend, long weekend. It'll make me crazy to have to wait till Tuesday to talk again, but that is what it is. We just got to work with the crosses we have to bear. I'm just kidding, but uh, it'll be good to be back. I love talking on after a long weekend. Well, we got a bunch to cover today. And in fact, in a few moments, a very nice... uh, a Friday interview. Mark Mix, who is the president of the National Right to, Lo- to Work Committee, really an expert on the labor movement and how out of hand it's been. He'll give us an insight into the Biden-Harris uh, team and what it means as president, what it would change. Uh, you know, he's, uh, of course, you've heard me talk about the teachers unions being the problem, one of the biggest problems in America. Well, he's talking more broadly about some of the other union fat cats that will want to change laws and roll things back. So we'll talk to him. And then a very special guest, Senator Marsha Blackburn. Marsha Blackburn, she is the senator from Tennessee. Um, she is uh, has a new book out called The Mind of a conservative woman. We'll hear from her. I, you know, I, I'm going to bring up two things with her. One is Taylor Swift famously said she might come home to Tennessee, where she's originally from, and run for Senate against uh, against Marsha Blackburn. She never did. She backed off, of course, because she's uh, she likes to talk, but I'm not sure she understands uh, necessarily what it would take. Uh, but the other thing I'm going to see if Senator Marsha Blackburn will comment on, you know, Tennessee football is in the SEC, and you know one of my obsessions has been the fact that the uh, Big Ten is not playing football, and therefore it is going to uh, be a huge blow to them. And when they look down in Tennessee and see SEC football, Alabama, Notre Dame will be playing in the ACC, Clemson will be playing in Penn State, and uh, Michigan, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Iowa, they'll all be going crazy. So we'll see if uh, Senator uh, Black- Marsha Blackburn will comment on that. All right, let's get to what you need to know today. Don't forget, please follow me on Twitter, at Eagle Ed Martin. Pass it on to other people. Get them to follow me. It's important to grow the folks who hear what you need to know the daily wink what you need to know go to proamericareport.com proamericareport.com and you can tune in there and find out what you need to know in a daily email sign up there and you get the daily email into your inbox every morning at 5 a.m pacific time 8 a.m east coast time and everything in between so all right, today's news, the number one thing you need to know is jobs, 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 not mobs, mobs, mobs. Now, here's what's interesting. The, the unemployment rate has fallen back to 8.4%, still very high, but it's from 102 last month. So making good direction, right? You know, the spin in the media is uh, in July, uh, the economy added $1.8 million, uh, $8 million, $8 million jobs. In June, added $4.8 million jobs. And this month, only $1.4 million jobs. Now, in a normal world, of course, 1.4 million jobs would be stunning. Now the spin is, well, maybe, maybe it's the economy slowing down, except the projections from the banks and all that was there'd be 1.3 million. So it exceeded expectations. And remember what I told you, uh, it may not be the raw number, it may be the trend that matters. And so when the economy is exceeding expectations, like it is in this case, it feels better, right? It feels like it's in the right direction. 
Here's the interesting question. Um, there's a piece in the in the uh, Wall Street Journal that uh, runs uh, today on on um, the digital version and tomorrow in the paper if you get the paper. And it's by Peggy Noonan. Of course, she writes a weekly column called Declarations, and she turned her column over to a former Obama ambassador who basically lectures Joe Biden and says uh, this guy was an ambassador during the Obama Biden years, and he ba- ba- he writes from Martha's Vineyard, classic establishment, and he basically writes what I would say is the establishment's cry, both parties, to Biden to stop letting the progressives um, get him scared and, and stop showing that he's going to be a, a, a lapdog for the progressives and go back to his old self and all. But here's the problem. One of the things that they say in there is uh, nobody believes the country's going in the right direction, except I think that's wrong. I think everybody now knows the pandemic. It's it's hit everywhere badly. It's a bad bug. It's a bad virus. It's really bad. But the whole world has had the same problem and will have the same problems. And so it's kind of like, okay, what what's the what's the future? And one of the details of the Wall Street Journal piece, again, in Peggy Noonan's column, but turned over to this uh, Democrat from uh, Martha's Vineyard, uh, was he says... You know, Joe Biden, you said we need to shut down the economy again to stop the spread. And this this Democrat says you can't do that. You you just can't do that. The message has to be effectively Trump's message, which is deal with it, assess the risks, be careful, protect those vulnerable, but get back to work. That's what the Democrat is lecturing Joe Biden on, saying you can't continue to be in opposition to what's common sense. So that's an admission in my mind. That's the admission. What you need to know is you're hearing more and more people who are conceding. Well, you know, we we got the ventilators we needed. We got the PPE. We didn't overrun our hospitals. We had the emergency stuff. It's a bad bug. But, you know, everybody's doing what they can. And right now it's time to get back to work, get back to school, get back to football. Now, uh, let me shift over what you need to know. I want to make sure to cover this. As you, I want you to be on alert now. If you follow Jack Posobiec on Twitter, he's a journalist over at uh, TV journalist over at One America News, but on Twitter, at Jack Posobiec. Posobiec's really good on breaking down the, the mainstream, the fake news. And he tweeted earlier today that here comes another hoax. And I guess what I want to tell you is it's 60 days to the election. 60 days. So we're into, uh, in the world, in the old days, you'd wait till October for an October surprise. In the new world order, 60 days out, it looks like here comes all the hit pieces. So the Atlantic, which is reliably left, left of center, not even, you know, center, left, far left, wrote a hit piece, had four anonymous sources claiming that Trump said bad things about our soldiers and bad things about soldiers that died. It's crazy, but it's said by the Atlantic and it's done in such a way that it's like the fake news on CNN. It's meant to be weaponized. Now, here's the interesting thing. As quick as the Atlantic wrote this column, the, the, the sort of Trump side of things, pushed back and broke it down and deconstructed it and showed it was a hoax. Hoax, so much so that things like that they assert in the article about uh, Trump decided not to go to some, visit some cemetery on, by his choice. There's an email that exists after Sunshine of, I think it was John Kelly, the chief of staff, saying, no, no, we got to cancel this, and Trump being disappointed. So my point here is the hit jobs will keep coming because they have to try to desperately save Joe Biden. The ship is going down. The trend line for the, the, the Biden campaign is disastrous, and they're going to start to do whatever they can. Another October surprise that's happening in September is this idea of the election misconduct and the election un- uncertainty. They're going to keep pushing that. The other news, what you need to know, is Facebook announced that they won't allow ads, political ads, the week before the election. Now, you talk about a finger in the dike. 
in parts of the country, absentee ballots and mail-in ballots and just plain early voting in person is going on in September, next week, two weeks from now. So a week before, Facebook is suddenly going to say no ads. And what does that mean? Does that mean you can't pay for an ad if you're a political campaign? Could you pay for an ad if you're a business? Could you pay for an ad if you're an individual? What is the ad? Is it the content of the ad? It seems to me Facebook wanted the splash, and they got it, front page of the uh, Wall Street Journal, they, that they're going to be on top of this. But I don't know what that means. It doesn't seem to me to be reasonable to, to sort of understand what that means. It's sort of show. It's a showman, a showboat move, not a real move. And we'll see. And again, on, on some sides, they blast away and others, uh, they, they blast away. And my point is, I don't even know what it means. It's hard to break down what that means. And again, I think Facebook is trying to have it all and... Um, and uh, look like they're doing something when they're not. So now, last thing, and what you need to know, I just want to. This is this, and it touches all this stuff. Is um, did you see the news about a, a a journalist? Excuse me, a professor. I forget what school she was at. The piece ran in the in the New York uh, in the New York Post, and it's uh, this woman who came out and said, "I'm not really an African American. I spent my whole life lying about it. I was raised as a Jewish kid in Chicago, and at a certain point, I assumed this identity. Went on and got a PhD and all this stuff, and have been talking about my blackness. And I cancel myself," she said. And as she wrote about herself, I thought as I listened to it, it's a woman that has some mental health issues. She kind of concedes that. And, and, and I, I, th- I mean that very carefully. You know, I'm not a mental health professional. I can't diagnose people. But the fact is, there's more and more mental health issues that we're, 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 we're sort of not understanding. I would say that some of these uh, people that are hooked on, uh, on that are uh, hopped up on fentanyl, um, uh, you know, George Floyd, for one, when people get out of their mind, literally, on drugs, they're not, it's not, it's a mental health issue along with criminal issue. Uh, I'm not not to excuse it, I'm just saying we have some really unwell people. And this woman's cry for help and the way she talked about it, she sort of dramatically canceled herself. It was almost like a cultural uh, sort of suicide, very strange. And it reminded me how dastardly and how truly evil what is happening with too much of the fake news, which focuses on how to make us crazy so we come back for more. Make us crazy. You watch CNN at night and you hear Anderson Cooper and then Chris Cuomo and then Don Lemon and you say, oh, things are really bad. And then you rush back the next morning because you want to have it resolved and you get up in the morning and watch New Day or whatever it's called. Same thing on Fox to some extent. We're really in a dangerous place. And I'm not saying it's half the country. I'm not even saying it's 25% of the country, but even 10%. Of 330 million people is a lot of people, right? 10% is in the millions who are experiencing real, real unhealthy times because of the media. The other things are going great. Economy's not going great, not perfect, going great. The economy's coming back. People are energized. There's lots to look forward to. Technology, healthcare, things are positive in many ways. And yet the media is taking advantage and making people nuts. Really nutty. And I'm not just I'm not using that term lightly. I'm saying it's causing mental health problems and we need to be aware of it and be more understanding of it and be more forceful to stop this stuff. Anyway, that's all. I'm going to finish with that. Let me me, we got to go. We got some great guests again. Mark Mix and Senator uh, Marsha Blackburn. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. 
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Our old friend Mark Mix is with us. And as you all, my listeners have known, Mark, for about a week and a half, I've been, well, maybe two weeks, I've been just uh, uh, relentlessly going after the teachers' unions because I think as the American people uh, wake up and say, holy cow, what's happened to this country uh, in terms of our schools where a lot of school decisions seem to be ill-advised and not very uh, smart and all on and on, one of the one of the groups that is coming into uh, some room for blame, and I think they should get all of it, is the teachers' union. So anyway, first of all, welcome back, Mark. How are you today? I'm doing fine, Ed. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about a subject that both of us enjoy talking about. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. first. Well, <laughs> no, well, I want to I pull back and do the broad thing. The Biden campaign, has, forget about, in a way, forget about Joe Biden, because Joe Biden's not in charge. The Biden campaign is this campaign of all the usual suspects. And the signal that they've had, other than Jill Biden saying, you know, I'm a union member, teachers union member, you you know, we'll get rid of any anything that's opposed to the teachers union will be opposed by us. But more broadly, the Biden campaign, the signal, it, it doesn't look like they're for working people. Otherwise, they'd be for more of the America First stuff. But they're for the unions. Tell me what we're not seeing. The union uh, fat cats, as we call them. Tell me what we're not seeing in the in the description of who will run America if Joe Biden is president. Well, this president had well, uh, uh, this this Democrat nominee, if he wins, has announced that he would make a special cabinet position for a labor union official. Um, he has said that uh, publicly. Um, they have promoted that. He is uh, taking advice from some of the biggest union bosses in the country, the firefighters union boss Harold Shakeberger, who's now under investigation by the Department of Justice and the off- Department of Labor for pension violations. Uh, that was announced today. Uh, he's relying on the U.S. W hierarchy to give him advice about uh, quote, quote working place issues, workplace issues, and eleven of their executives are either guilty or in jail today from a racketeering and extortion campaign that was waged against the rank and file workers of the United Auto Workers Union. Um, and you know it's just amazing that they continue to pander, but it's not surprising, Ed, because as you know, one of the biggest political money pots uh, when it comes to elections like this is organized labor because they have that privilege of forcing workers to pay them as a condition of getting or keeping a job. Yeah, and and Mark again, we're talking with Mark Mix, uh, and uh, and we have a frequent guest on the program, and and uh, and Mark, you know, your perspective on this, however, is important because this is what you've been studying and looking at closely, and and I, and I, what I mean that is, you're not going to see the coverage, you're not, people are not going to see the coverage uh, in the on the regular TV about any of this stuff. They're gonna they're gonna get kind of spin, and they're gonna get little pieces of it. Um, what's What's the policy change, right? It's one thing to say that we now know that a lot of these unions, the teachers union is one I'm, I'm really on the, on the, on the warpath about. They don't really represent what they said they were after at the beginning. You know, they just have gotten to be, they're just a racket now. But what's the policy change? If you get all these guys, these, these union bosses in charge, what do they do to the economy? What do they do to our, our policies? How explain that to our listeners? Yeah, well, the first thing they're going to do, and this is by uh, Kamala Harris, Kamala, excuse me, Kamala Harris's uh, own admission and Joe Biden's admission to a Teamster meeting not too long ago. The first thing they're going to do is try to repeal every single right to work law in the country. That that would mean all 27 states that have right to work protections that simply allow workers to choose whether or not to financially support a labor union. Those are going to be target number one when it comes to labor policy for these two folks. Um, and they've got a willing accomplice in Nancy Pelosi over on the House side. In fact, 
add a bill passed the House of Representatives in February, a bill called the PRO Act. I think we talked about it. It actually, the first order of business is repeal all the right to work laws, impose card check unionization on America's workforces. And what that is, I don't mean to use, uh, you know, kind of the lexicon of labor law, but card check simply means that there will no longer be secret ballot votes for union certification. They'll simply collect cards through whatever means they can use to get them. They will present them to an employer and the employer will now be subject to bargaining with the union. It goes farther than that, too, because what they do say in in private sector contracts, if they organize a workplace under the the dreams that Harris and and Biden have for their union boss friends, is there would be a 90-day period to negotiate a contract. If the contract is not settled in 90 days, a federal government bureaucrat will fly in, look at the conditions that they're bargaining over, and a federal government will apply a contract to a private entity for up to two years. I mean, these are the types of programs that you read about in other places that have, you know, socialist or communist uh, governments. I mean, they this is this is a, a really redo of kind of the American workplace and private sector labor management relations. And that's just really the beginning. There's so much more. They they've got a bill that they've endorsed that would literally federally mandate the unionization of every government employee across the country. Um, by federal mandate, wow. you would have to provide four key principles. That includes teachers. I had to get you fired up again, just so you're ready to go when I, when I pause here. <laughs> there you go. Um, uh, but they yeah they start one with with the unionization of every police officer and firefighter in the country by federal decree. This year they've actually expanded and have a bill that would cover every government employee, and that's not a, a recipe for success in America. We're seeing that in spades. Right. Uh, we're talking with Mark Mix again, and, and he is the uh, president of the National Right to Work Committee. You can go to an, excuse me, go to nrtw.org, nrtw.org, and find a lot more of this. All right, let's talk about the teachers' unions, and I want to talk about the sort of small p politics of it. At this point, a lot of people in this country are upset about how the schools have gone. They they think, well, when they ended the pandemic hit and they started going distance learning, they they didn't do very well, um, and now we're going back. They're still not doing very well. My question for you, Mark, is, is the teachers union um, going to get blamed? I believe they're responsible. I don't even want to debate that. Are they going to get blamed? I mean, because we're going to have in the next six weeks real trouble in our in our country in the sense that people, I, I hope it's not going to be violent. I, don't, I mean, I don't mean to root for any kind of danger and all, but people, parents are going to be unhappy, uneasy. Teachers are going to be uneasy. It's just a difficult thing. It's I don't blame anybody. It's just real. But I do blame the fact that our school systems are not up to the job and they have haven't even gotten up to the job in the last three months. But will will the teachers union get the blame? Unlikely, Ed, unfortunately. I mean, you know, because their motivation, and I'm using my finger quotes here, it's all about the children. And that's what Randy Weingarten says every time she's asked about anything that has to do with an issue that has nothing to do with education, but the reason why the American Federation of Teachers Union is involved in politics, big P politics, all the time. You know, it, union right. officials, is, particularly in the education sector, have this, this unique power called exclusive representation. This is the idea that they get to speak for every single teacher in a bargaining unit, and if the employer, i.e. a school board, tries to talk with an employee who's not a union member or someone who objects to the way the union's position is, and uh, that's an unfair labor practice charge in many states under their employee relation board rules and regulations. So what you get is this sole voice, which ends up being a person like Randy Weingarten, who, who basically is a political operative using 
using the teachers, using the children as a tool to promote an agenda that really is is an amazing agenda when you look at the things that they stand for and, and what they say deal with education. So it's this union power that's been granted in state after state that allows them to sit down and demand to be heard by a school board. Then they turn around and they, they help to elect the school board members that sit on the, unfortunately now, the same side of the table as they do. And you get this kind of unified voice of school board members, uh, superintendents and principals with this union that basically say, you know, we got to close down the schools. I mean, in California, perfect example there, Ed, you've probably already talked about it. Before they would come back to school, they wanted Medicaid for all. What, what, what were their demands? Right, exactly. I forget what their demands were, but they, they, they well, had to do well, with education. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, they were. Uh, well, and that and that's the thing I would tell you, Mark, is that sometimes as you, as you and I are talking, we're talking again with Mark Mix, who's the president of the National Right to Work Committee. And there's a lot of law. There's a lot of understanding and all. But when it comes down to it on a school teachers union, when you see them use a crisis, a hundred year, once in a hundred year crisis, and they do demands like Medicare for all, Black Lives Matter, you know, all this stuff, you say to yourself, okay, what may have began begun as a, a good cause, help teachers, it's become a racket. And the racket is... We're going to use any situation to strengthen ourselves, create more money, and then they plow it back into the thing, into the political system and the places where it's a failure. Although, let's be honest, there are some places where there are Republican elected officials who are in the tank for the school board, uh, school unions, too. But mostly it's in big cities and the political clout comes from the teachers union and they support people like Bill de Blasio and Ted Wheeler and the places where the school are failing the worst los angeles other places st louis where i'm from are, are run by the democrats and the teachers union is just in a racket they're in the they're a political arm of that racket they're not really about the teachers yeah, that's exactly right. You know, when you go back to the history of the National Education Association, for instance, you go back, you know, for decades, they were really a professional organization. Principals were part of it. Superintendents were part of it. Administrators were part of it. And then in the early, late 1960s, early 1970s, there, were, there was a radical bent to the, to the teachers union. And in 19, I think it was 1975, the IRS finally designated them as a labor union, and they became a labor union, as we see them today and operating, you know, politically like most labor unions do. And, and Ed, the important part about that is that there are a lot of teachers in classrooms, well, not in classrooms today, but ordinarily in classrooms across America that are very much opposed to the agenda of the teachers' union. Unfortunately, they've, they've litigated and legislated this unified due structure that in order to, to belong to the, the teachers' association of the local school, you've got to be part of the state teachers' union, and that, then you have to be part of the national teachers' union. So this unified due structure keeps everybody in line. It keeps the, the big union bosses here in Washington well-funded, and it keeps them very, very political act, politically active with lots and lots of power, and it manifests itself in the situations we see today. To your point, they're using this crisis extremely well to basically lay their demands out and, and hold the school system hostage, our children hostage, and unfortunately, parents hostage, to your point. So um, how is it playing out in terms of the politics now? And Mark, I know it's not your job, you know, National Right to Work Committee is not it's not, you know, you're about the policy issue. But are the are are people in places like like union workers, are they getting more fed up when they see? Here's another thing I think working men and women that like to work, that don't mind working hard. They don't look up and think great thoughts about the teachers, about the bosses in these unions. Right. They tend to be dissatisfied. Will that show up in the polling place, do you think? 
Well, I think it will. And that is, you know better than I. I mean, it showed up in the polling places in 2016. I mean, Donald Trump does not win Michigan, does not win, win Wisconsin, does not win Pennsylvania or Ohio without the support of union members and rank and file workers of those states. I mean, so it's pretty clear that the message that Donald Trump had in 2016 and is trying to replicate here in, in this election cycle is something that attracts the support of the rank and file workers. Unfortunately, most of those rank and file workers are in unions where the leadership, the, the hierarchy of that union is on the other team using their money and their resources to support the other team. And yeah, there are a lot of union members across the country that, that keep their mouth shut but go into the voting booth and pull a lever opposite of what their so-called union leadership wants them to do. And uh, mm-hmm. we know that because we're, you know, right now the foundation has 285 active cases on behalf of employees who are fighting for their rights in America's workplaces. These are union members that are fighting against the very mm-hmm. union that claims to represent them. Um, you know, we've been to mm-hmm. the U.S. Supreme Court 18 times on behalf of workers who have been trying to vindicate their rights. So there's lots of unrest out there among rank-and-file workers. There's no question about yeah. that. It's the union power. It's the union power that keeps all this packaged up. And then, to your point at the beginning of this, not many people know about it because the mainstream media was like, they put the union official on yep. the TV banging the desk say it's all about the children. And it's not about yeah. the children. It's not. It's about political power. Yeah. Yep. All right. Mark Mix, as always, very helpful. National Right to Work Committee is nrtw.org. Thanks very much, Mark. we got to run. We'll have you on again. Uh, keep us in the loop on this important it's a big issue coming towards the election. So I've got to take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is, I've never had her on the show, never talked to her on the show, but it's great. I just visited with her before we got on here, and that is Marsha Blackburn. Marsha Blackburn is, of course, a senator from Tennessee uh, and United States senator. She served in the House before that. I was interested, uh, Senator Blackburn, that I was reading your back in your biography that one of the things that you cut your teeth in politics was one of these times where they were trying to uh, pro- uh, do a state income tax in Tennessee. So famous, Tennessee, no income tax. So many Missourians flee to Tennessee, too many, because there's no income tax. And you back, I don't know, 25 years ago, or I'm not sure when it was, you helped defeat that effort to put an income tax. I guess Grover Norquist and everybody else would be proud of you. But also important for people to know, Senator Blackburn was a uh, businesswoman. I, I liked in your um, in your biography, having been a sa- starting out in sales and, and managing a, a business and all. It's an impressive background. And now she's got a new book, which is one of the reasons we're talking to her. It's called The Mind of a Conservative Woman, Seeking the Best for Family and Country, just out a few days ago, available wherever you get books. So first of all, welcome, Senator Blackburn. How are you? I am doing great and absolutely thrilled to in, to join you in your network and talk about the mind of a conservative woman. And it was a great project to work on and to write, and I am just thrilled to have it in the public space. So I, I, this is the thing in your book, and I, I have only read excerpts, but I, in the book, one of the maxims you use is leave things in better shape than you found them, which is great. It sounds like, a, you know, it's kind of one of those things to live by. Ben Franklin could have said it. I don't know. But but when people look up at Washington right now, I think they see the president and you all. There's been more going for them, but they, it's hard to feel like uh, some of Washington is better than you found it. Is it are you are you optimistic you can do it? I think we are optimistic. You know, there is a lot of pushing against conservatives, and they're doing this on every front. And there are those that want a great 
big central government that is going to control everything, whether it is elections or education or the environment. They want everything controlled at the federal level. And what we know is that the government that is closest to you is going to be the most effective. We need a small central government, and then we need to make certain that uh, we are going to be sending power back to the states and back to the localities and getting it out of Washington, D.C., we're talking with Senator Marsha Blackburn, and, and I was uh, I got a tweet from one of uh, the p- folks when I put up that you were here and that <laughs> you, uh, you Taylor, I forgot, Taylor Swift decided she wanted to uh, uh, weigh in or uh, on your race a few years ago. So you got that burst of uh, 15 minutes of pop uh, culture fame. But that brings me to this question. You know, my old boss, the late Phyllis Schlafly, and you and I are visiting off the air. She was great friends with right. uh, your friend, uh, Senator, Senator Roy Blunt. And, and she used to say a lot, she'd love the phrase, I had it all just not all at once and she meant that you know she was a mom and she was a, a, an author and she was a activist but she also was a you know a, a wife all these kinds of things that you know you couldn't do it all at once but you could do it all and the problem with feminism it seems to me and why they uh, uh, what's her name taylor swift and others they don't really see what uh, uh, what the, uh, the traditional woman roles are also meaningful they think that has to be sort of denigrated right that you're you're not if you're a mother and a, and a, and a uh, wife you're pr- you, you haven't lived up to your potential well your potential is s- sort of the, well you tell me it's sort of it can be all of these things and that's one of the things that conservatives well, can offer to women that's exactly right and you know the mainstream media would have you believe that if you are not a liberal woman and ascribing to a liberal agenda then you are not fully female and conservatives believe indeed as you used what phyllis would say you can have it all but you can't have it all at the same time that mm-hmm. you there is a rhythm to life and women in their careers have a more circuitous route and they will take time off for children or they'll take time off to care for elderly relatives and maybe they work in a cor- corporate environment and move to a small business environment and what we say is that's okay and for women who are pro-life pro-family pro-business pro-military conservative in their policy and political leanings we feel like that they have a lot to say that will enrich the country and that all voices need to be heard conservative women's voices need to be heard and their concerns should be addressed in the public square we're talking with Senator Marsha Blackburn. The book is called The Mind of a Conservative Woman Seeking uh, sorry, seeking the Best for Family and Country. Now, you had a star turn at the, uh, at the Republican convention. By the way, the, book's from, the book is published by Worthy Books, available everywhere you find them. Um, you had a star turn here at the RNC. Not everybody got to speak at the convention because it wasn't the old-fashioned convention where there was lots of time. There was a limited amount of time. So you got a, 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 a starring role. And, you know, we, the, uh, the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, are, are preparing for uh, our, we call 
it the Eagle Countdown in a few weeks, where we're going to count down the policy successes, the promises kept by this president, this administration, including this Senate and the House when we had it, uh, to succeed on you know policies, things that they said they would do and they followed through. If, if you had to name one policy success that President Trump's administration has succeeded on, maybe you participated or didn't, that would be a highlight for you in this administration. What, what would it be? Oh, I would say in the foreign policy realm, it is holding China to account. And the president has done a tremendous job of that. He has also done a tremendous job when it comes to defending life and religious liberty. He has done a great job standing with our law enforcement and rebuilding our military. And the list goes on and on. When you look (laughs) at the things he's been able to accomplish in three and a half years. All right. One more one more slightly off uh, kilter question. But the presence made a lot of uh, of the fact that Big Ten canceled their football right now. Tennessee, you got the SEC, you're playing football. I mean, I, I, I think there's nothing that could you talk about dividing America on on the third Saturday of September when the, the Penn State Nittany Lions fans or the University of Michigan fans look up and they see not only is Notre Dame playing football, but somewhere down south, Tennessee's playing Alabama or whoever. It's really I I maybe the sleeper political issue of this election is the fact that Trump has been banging away to play Big Ten college football, get them playing. And uh, and they're not so far. Do you have any (laughs) reflections on college football? I think that uh, getting these kids back on the field playing safely is terribly important. And uh, you know what? Some of these people that have been so given to the Big Ten and Big Ten football, uh, they're going to discover the SEC and realize I knew it. this is a powerful conference. <laughs> I, I knew it. I knew it. This is how this is how SEC people are. These fans are. Okay. Hey, thank you, Senator Marsha Blackburn. Again, the book is The Mind of a Conservative Woman, Seeking the Best for Family and Country. Thanks for taking some time out to talk, and good luck with everything. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye now. Uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee. All right. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The Supreme Court was wrong to bar President Trump from including a question about citizenship status on the 2020 census form. It was a clear-cut case of judicial supremacy. The judges thought they had the right to make laws rather than interpret them. Thankfully, President Trump vowed not to let the issue drop there. He followed through on that promise by signing a memorandum to bar illegal immigrants from being counted for congressional reapportionment. This is a decisive victory for conservatives everywhere. Democrats would like nothing more than to use illegal immigrants to skew the results of the census. Their plan is simple, but it's dangerous. If enough illegal aliens inflated the census count in key Democratic strongholds, those areas would be given more representation in Congress. Of course, Congress isn't supposed to represent foreigners who unlawfully live in America. Congress is supposed to represent the American citizens of a particular jurisdiction. That's the way our founding fathers intended it to be. President Trump restored the census to what the founders envisioned by removing the influence of illegals. 
has an added bonus. He dealt a major blow to Democrats' plans to use our census for an unconstitutional power grab. However, you won't hear anything like that in the mainstream media. They spin the facts to make it look like President Trump doesn't care about the people. That's the fundamental difference between the right and the left today. Leftists want to give the privileges of citizenship to non-citizens. Conservatives want to preserve the privileges of citizenship for actual citizens. We want to give a voice to the disenfranchised voters in states who will lose congressional seats to liberal powerhouses filled with illegal aliens. We have a term for this philosophy. It's called America first. It's not that we don't care about people from other countries. We just don't want to give a priority to those people over the freedoms of our own American citizens. President Trump was right to stop illegal immigrants from being factored into our congressional reapportionment. This is the best way to ensure that our national legislature is truly representative of we the people who call America home. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. American citizenship should never be taken lightly. That's why you need to go to phyllisschlafly.com and be part of the dialogue on the need for border security and an accurate census, the travesty of sanctuary cities, and voting rights for illegals. Voice your opinion at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Great, great interviews. Thank you for tuning in for them. And listen, do me a favor and head on over uh, to uh, uh, ProAmericaReport.com and get engaged there. All right. I've, I've been slipping and sliding a little bit on this last segment. I used to tell you I'm going to do it every day called What You Need to Do, The Window. Start the show with the wink, what you need to know, and with the window, what you need to do. And i got to get back to that because we have 59 days and a few hours uh, till the election day. 59 days, less than two months two months from yesterday. And look, what you need to do is it's not too late to get involved for a congressional candidate, for the presidential candidate, for a Senate candidate, but also at your election authority. We've got to be on the front lines of resisting the insanity of mail-in voting. You know, I got an email from one of the listeners who said he was listening to uh, Mike Gallagher's show on the Salem Radio Network. Mike Gallagher, great guy. And Sam Malone was filling in. And Sam Malone uh, filling in, a, a great Salem host down in Texas. And Sam Malone said... Something like, uh, hey, if you really trust mail-in voting, if you want to really prove to me that mail-in voting is then put your money where your mouth is. Put your money where your mouth is. Take $500 out of your bank. Go to the, you know, go to the ATM right now. Take $500 in cash. Make it 20s and put it in an envelope. You can put a piece of paper around it, but put it in an envelope. Seal the envelope and mail it to a friend. Preferably one town over or two towns over, not next door. But mail it. Put it in the post. Would you put it in? Would you trust if you put cash in the post office? I wouldn't, right? Nobody does that. Why did? Why does nobody do it? Because the system is not secure enough. I'm not blaming people or saying that they all steal. I'm saying the system is not secure enough. We don't trust it that way. And we're supposed to trust it with mail-in ballots? With a ballot, as the president said yesterday, if you think it's so perfect, why don't you try to do both and see if the system catches you? I don't think he was encouraging mail fraud. I, I, I know he wasn't. I think he was encouraging the, you to understand the insanity of a system that is not going to have a way to check or balance. It doesn't look like it. It does not look like it's going to be able to have a check or balance. And uh, and we will have to, you know, we'll see uh, going forward. But right now, my point to you is what you need to do is get involved. 60 days. you got a chance. Get there. Get out. Do something. Be con- contributing any way you can because... 
59 days. You can rest after 59 days. That's a long time, by the way. Uh, that's a long time. That's a lot of days. A lot's going to happen. We're going to see a lot moving and shaking and underneath everything. So uh, don't be... Um, don't be too alarmed uh, that uh, that there. You know, it's not it's not tomorrow, but it's time for you to get involved and get moving and uh, and find your way to contribute. And you know, if you're in places, I my great friend Woody Woodrum has been on the show so often. He's the head of the California Screaming Eagles. A lot of his folks in California, if they're not involved in a house race or a a local race, they make phone calls into other states. You know, there's a heated Senate race in Montana and Arizona. There's now a heated Senate race in uh, Minnesota. There's lots of places where you can contribute and uh, and get involved. So find your path. What you need to do is find your path into the fray with 59 days to go. It's that important, as we said yesterday, most important election in forever. Really, it is. Uh, it really is that stark. Uh, it's got to be done, and you got to contribute. All right, let me take a moment and say thank you to our great technical director, Noah. Noah does an unbelievable job at The Answer San Diego. He has a lot of lot of balls in the air. His own programming he does is on the air and then producing great stuff, and he does a super job. So I want to say thank you to Noah, uh, and he, I'm, I'm sure he'll be glad we have a long weekend uh, to get away. And also thank you to Joanna, who books the show out of the heart of America, St. Louis, where the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles are based. I'm Ed Martin. Thank you for listening. We'll be back on Tuesday night right here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then.